This is episode 223 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled, Catching Up with Lisa Sanders. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, Bill Aho, who has an ear for good music and an eye for the extraordinary. Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts is brought to you by Discreet Guide, a training company for improving your speaking and writing skills. We hope you enjoy the show. I am so pleased to welcome a new guest to the show today. Bill Aho is with us, and thanks to Bill, we have Lisa Sanders with us. So, Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. And Bill, too. Welcome. Oh, hi. Thank you. Yay, Bill. I'll introduce Lisa. She was born in Philadelphia. Bill, this is funny. It seems like it's just becoming, yeah, almost a joke now how many people we have on the show from either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. So yeah, kind of funny. So she fits right in already. She's from (laughs) Philadelphia. She began singing with her older brother at an early age. The family moved to Canada where her family encouraged music daily. Motown artists Johnny Cash, a mixture of rock and roll and classical music, were key influences. She was raised in Poway, where she signed on to Cargo Earth Records and released her first album, Isn't Life Fine? And then her second one, Life Takes You Flying. I love love those titles. Yeah, to get a nice uh, theme going there. (laughs) She established her own label in 2004 and has since released five albums. She's worked with Truckee Brothers, Lucinda Williams, Bonnie Raitt, Al Green, B.B. King, Babyface, and artists from all over, and she herself has traveled all over. She's been part of the San Diego music scene for decades. Uh, I've known of Lisa since I first moved to San Diego, and that was decades ago. And last year, uh, she was inducted into the San Diego Hall of Fame. So congratulations, Lisa. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that was huge. (laughs) Uh Yeah, so great. Such a nice acknowledgement of what you've contributed to the city and the music scene for for so many years, right? We're going to talk quite a bit about work in this podcast, but yeah, I really appreciate, you know, just your work ethic, right? All those years. Yeah. So uh, Lisa, let's uh, start with some firsts. Yeah. Your your first record bought. Oh my gosh, the Partridge Family album. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Well, come on and get happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I got I was so in love with David Cassidy. I mean, I know this is nuts. My sister had um, the Jackson five on one side of the wall and I had the Partridge family on the other side. And while my favorite Jackson was Marlon, I knew everything about David Cassidy. He, He was so cute, right? He was so cute. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the music, you know. I really did. So, okay. How about the first performance that inspired you? Um, I think it was Stevie Nicks. I want to say oh. Stevie Nicks. I saw the Rumors tour. Oh, in the seventies, and 
I saw her and I go, wow, if I could do that, that would be really cool. But I kind of put it out of my mind, you know, thinking, yeah, right. You know, I, I didn't really give it too much of a thought, but I, I've seen her about four or five times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's interesting. She's, there's something kind of timeless about her, right? Yeah. Un- unlike David Cassidy or the Partridge family, which really yeah. seemed rooted in a particular period. I don't know why Stevie Nicks just seems like, yeah, time is, yeah, is not a thing for her. No, no. <laughs> she just keeps moving. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the key. Sting talks about that. I see. Yeah, interesting. Because yeah, he's timeless too. Yeah. He keeps putting out stuff and moving forward and always growing mm-hmm. always growing got one more for you one more for sure. the first song you wrote if you remember yeah i do i was um eight years old and it was it was <laughs> words to green sleeves <laughs> i plagiarized and it was a it was a family show we used to do for my parents me and my siblings used to put on these you know, these shows where we pretend like we could play music and we would sing songs. <laughs> oh, that sounds like great times. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You put, you uh, made up new words for the Greensleeves yeah. melody. You know, that's interesting because Greensleeves is a beautiful song. Just yeah. beautiful. And I've always felt like, yeah, it's just never, I mean, of course, everyone knows it, but I just feel as though somehow... Yeah, it's just never been as much of a household song as I would have expected, given that beautiful melody. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think it maybe it's because the time we grew up, I grew up in the 60s. So, you know, as a little kid and we had, of course, Andy Williams on. We had, you know, Nat King Cole. We had beautiful singers, Johnny Mathis. Mm hmm all those people. And when they sang those songs, it was very meaningful. And maybe that's why that song maybe spoke to me. I don't know. We were just used to beautiful songs, beautiful mm. music. Well, well, for me, Greensleeves, I always think of the Lassie show because I believe oh. it was, it was the theme for la- one of the Lassie series. Oh, and, really? and, and it, I always think, Oh, Lassie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, oh I that's... Yeah, that's interesting. I don't have that association at all. Yeah, that's no. funny. That makes perfect sense, though. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, something very, yeah, American and family-oriented. Uh-huh. Home. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we watch Lassie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve Poltz and Jewel are San Diego legends. I know you know Steve pretty well. He tells a story about you being there when he was talking about record, when they were talking about who was going to record You Were Meant For Me. What do you remember about that? Oh, you know what? I had to think about that, Bill. I, um, I remember the day they came back from Mexico. They came straight into the Better World Galleria. It used to be a place that we would play in town. We had a bunch of different Java Joe's Wiki uh, Better World Gallery. You know, we have places yeah. to play. They came in and they sang it for the first time and they told that crazy story <laughs> of how they, with the federales and the pot and standing there with a the gun and all that. <laughs> and I remember that like so like crazy because I had just written Jewel a song called The Jewel. 
and I played it for them that night. So I can't remember whether they said they were going to record it that night Mm. or if it was the time when Steve and I were riding Rainbow at Steve's apartment and Jewel came over and they invited me to dinner. It was just the three of us. And um, I didn't go to dinner because my dad had just, we just buried my dad the day before. So I just felt I'd be a drag. You know, I didn't want to go and be like sad sack. Mm -hmm. So I decided not to, but I can't remember if they told us, if she told me then, or if they told me at the Better World Galleria. I can't remember. But he knows, he's got a mind like that. (laughs) (laughs) When I first saw Steve, he um, will tell these stories and you will think to yourself, now, how much of this is real and how much of this is fabricated? But yeah. then and, and when he told the jewel story at, about the federales and stuff, I said, well, do you have any pictures? And he goes, well, I do have a picture. Let me, let me find it. And then he posted it on the site the next day of him with the federales and jewel all, <laughs> all there. And it's like. <laughs> you can't make that stuff up. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, well, I guess uh, I learned to believe Steve pretty much on what he says. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've known him for 30 years, and I tell you what, that picture shocked me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that was true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yesterday when I was preparing for the podcast, I was reminded because of this question, I was reminded of that song. So I had to go look at some YouTube videos of it. And now that song is so stuck in my head (laughs) since about three o'clock yesterday afternoon, my brain is just like singing that song nonstop. It's so, it's so infectious that that song you were meant for me, but yeah, it's, it is. That's a crazy good song. It's, it's, um, I call it the toothpaste song. That's what I love. (laughs) Put the cap back on. Because the first time they played it, for some reason, at the Better World Galleria, those lyrics stuck out to me. Where they put put the cap back on, you know? Well, it's so visual. It's such a visual song. I mean, you you can see everything that's going on in there, really. Yeah, that's what makes a great song. So another name for us here in the San Diego music scene is Jeff Berkeley. And we were lucky enough to have him on the show. I think it was last year, or maybe it was in 2020. These two last years are kind of a blur in my mind. Yeah. Um, and then I noticed that he produced and mixed and recorded your last album, uh, Shiver, and maybe some others too. Can you talk a little bit about working with him? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I'd known Jeff like everybody I met at Java Joe's 30 years ago in Poly, <laughs> right? And uh, he went to high school with my sister. And um, I just needed a band. And I had just finished Hold On Tightly with the Trekkie Brothers, which is a, my punk record. That's what I call it. <laughs> All right. Record. It's really like. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Your punk phase. <laughs> yeah, I had a punk phase. I needed a band so bad and I didn't put any word out. And I got a call from Berkeley and he said, Lisa, I'll be your band. (laughs) And I cried so hard and he put together all of my musicians for me and he just takes care of everything. And so he said, now we got to make a record. So we made a record 
called um, Last Night in Roseburg, which I am so proud of. I love that record. He did everything. I just showed up and sang. And I, I'd gotten very sick. And um, I could only just go to the studio and sing my parts and go home. Mm. And um, I was on an oxygen machine and everything pretty oh, much. Wow. Um, but I did my vocals four times over. But the musicianship and the we even have a Pult song on there with Maya Sharp. <laughs> a song with um, I co-wrote with Susan Gibson, who wrote Wide Open Spaces. Uh-huh. We have the opening song, which is called Texas. I love that record. And it's kind of like a quiet record, but it's jazz and folk and, and country all mixed together. It's my bluesiest, jazziest record that I have. All my records are different, but Jeff brings the magic to it. He puts it all together for me in a loving way. We record it. And what I love working with Jeff is that he's so easy. You know, sometimes you you go in the studio with a producer and sometimes there may be a little, eh, 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 you know, when you're trying to record a record. And sometimes that's great. Sometimes it turns out amazing. You know, you got a giant gold record with, you know, platinum or whatever. And you argued the whole time. But mm. with him, it's just so easy. I just go sing and I get to just do my thing and I don't worry about anything. That's what I love about Jeff, about working with him. He's, he's like a brother. And you re-released that album. Is that right? I wanted everybody to know I didn't really do like a big release or anything, but I wanted to let everybody know that that record exists. Yeah. Because, well, for me, it's it's just a great record. Sonically, it's gorgeous. And it has some of the best, best players. The top players in San Diego played on that record. Cool. It, it's just the musicianship. And Doug Pettibone. Oh, yeah. And everybody. Uh, John Mayer, Tracy Chapman. He came in and did some guitar parts, too. David Belgock, incredible guitar player. So much soul. Jeff is an amazing guy. He's such a warm person, and he's just—he's a good songwriter too. I mean, they write good. Oh, him and, him and Calman. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's and not now on his own. He's blazing the trail. You know, he works a lot with Jason Mraz, but he's making his own way too, which I'm really happy to see. And you know what else I love about Jeff? He just goes about in this business, just working his tail end off. Mm-hmm. He doesn't to me, appear to worry about anything business-wise. How can I get ahead? How can I? He just works with everybody with love, compassion, and a work ethic like I'm, I, it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. I think it's your last album is Shiver. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a chance to listen to some of the songs on that yesterday. That song, Shiver, is really a remarkable song. It It's just beautiful. Oh, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, it took a year to write oh. because I kept changing the uh, melody and the words. And I wanted to write for my then-time partner, Karen Hayes. She's now my wife. I wanted to 
write a song for her. She has many songs. She she has a song probably on every record, but <laughs> mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. but this song particularly, I wanted to put words in how I felt, you know, and it took so long to express that. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know, I'm I'm sometimes brave about everything else except for you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how that came out. I just kept trying things until it stuck. It just stuck. And I go, well, that's the one. And that's the incarnation of all of that thinking and sitting down and trying to write it. it that's what happened. Yeah. It's, it's really lovely. And I really like the, the instrumental sort of orm- ornamentation that goes around. The words are very interesting, but those, um, yeah. I don't know what to call them except, you know, ornamentation. Uh, That's Jeff. Yeah, it's really nice. It just showcases the song so well. Really cool. That's that's my band. That's another thing I, I really want to do is highlight what an amazing gift that the instrumentalists that come on our records, what they contribute is invaluable and to me they don't get enough credit Mm -hmm. or enough money (laughs) Mm -hmm. I really think they if it wasn't for them I don't know you know (laughs) you know yeah the producer and you have like Marsha comes in on my mind and adds that bass hey why don't we do this boom 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 you know that's Marsha (laughs) and the drummer man Megan Megan Jane is uh, a youngster, and now she plays at the Ryman. She's playing with country stars. Oh, wow. And I always knew she would. I said, she's a star. (laughs) And she always wanted to play with me, and she came and played my whole record Mm. for pittance. (laughs) Uh She just went, I want to play. I love you. I want to play. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the band, you know. And Jeff played the guitars and... My Karen, it's the first record that Brown Sugar sang harmony on. Oh. So I'm we're really proud of that. I listened to it over and over again, just so I can hear harmony. <laughs> yeah, the, that record sounds really pro. It's really yeah, it's, it's really nicely done. You know, all the little details and really good, super clean. Yeah, really pro. It's nice to be able to like do your craft and you grow and you learn what you can do and what you can't. And then, and then you get out of the way and the magic just happens. Mm. To me, the studio is the most magical place I've ever been besides, wow. nature, besides nature, you know, <laughs> um, besides the redwoods or the ocean to me that it's the most amazing place. It's, it, it just, sparkles. It's it stuff happens. It's yeah, like stuff happens. notes, things get pulled out of the air and they wound up on your record. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was being a musician always the dream? Nope. Nope. My dream was to be a songwriter for the stars. I wanted to be a writer like Burt Backrack and Hal David and the real building stuff or things yeah, like that. Yeah, I I did. I started out writing jingles. So I thought, oh, this is a way to hone my craft, you know, and um, I'm back now writing for television, which is really cool. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, that's a big that's big news. I got we got our big team meeting today. Big thing for me. <laughs> it just happened. Cool. I know you have lots of projects that have been we've talked about this a few times. A lot of projects that you have in the side, things that are kind of done or not done and can you can you yeah. share anything that you have that you're excited about that at some point we may see? Oh yeah. For the last few years, I've been working with Kamal Kenyatta. Kamal um, is a producer for uh, Gregory Porter, the, the big jazz star, the international star. He has like three Grammys. Well, Kamal does too. Kamal came to me and wanted to wanted to take my songs and transform them and then have them be on other people's records. And so we've started to do that. I go and I sit with him and he takes my songs and he turns them into these really cool jazz landscapes. Oh. Our first uh, person that we have is Paulette McWilliams and she covered Where's Home on her last record. And on this new record she's making, it's called Tell Me Daddy. And she's a world famous uh, backup singer. And she's coming out on her own now after all these years. I mean, you see her on on YouTube singing with Bette Midler, like not just sing, like standing right next to Bette and doing a thing and Marvin Gaye and Aretha Franklin. And the list is just endless. Paulette loves my songs. So she's putting another one on this record. And then um, Kamal and I have agreed to do a record together. So oh. I'll be doing <laughs> Yeah, I'll be doing a jazz record sometime. I got to start writing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of them, one of the projects. <laughs> it sounds like that one, at least you've come full circle. Like you actually are doing the writing that you yeah. dreamed of doing initially. Yeah, isn't life yeah. funny that you live long enough and everything comes back around again? That's funny. Yeah, that's that's so funny. I just got a song on a TV show, Temptation Island. And I cracked up because I love a love story. And I love it when people get together. Karen's always saying, you better stop trying to be a matchmaker. You're going to get burned. <laughs> <laughs> and here I, my, my son winds up on a hookup show. You know, <laughs> Of course it would. Yeah, of course it would. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm finally a songwriter and I finally get to, you know. Being a love story, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Besides being a musician, I know you have another hobby that you kind of go to when you're trying to recharge or you're kind of do things. And that is, it's kind of an interesting one. It's making furniture. Yeah. I'm on a project now. I'm making uh, album bins um, with uh, epoxy resin um, artwork on the doors and the fronts. And, and I build the whole thing and for a really cool guy, Keith. and. He wants four of them and they're colorful and really cool. He has like 4,000 albums. And you know how when you go into a, a record store and you have the bin, you can mm-hmm. you can go through. Well, he, he's going to have fancy ones. And <laughs> right. I'm, I'm almost done with the first one. And I'm having a little problem with the epoxy because it's just crazy. You'll, you'll get one door and then it won't set. And it's sticky and you're like, why did it do that? And then you have to do it over. And and then and then the art paint, it does whatever it wants to do. So you just have kind of at the whim of, you know, the creative uh, gods. <laughs> 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 but but it's fun. 
fun and it's interesting. And I've got three more to do before I go back in the studio again. I have a new record coming out. So with a JT Nero, The Birds of Chicago, and Allison Russell guesting on it. She was just on Jimmy Kimmel last night. I'm so oh. proud of her. <laughs> cool. Yeah, she's up for three Grammys this uh, coming April. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow. JT wrote my record, and and he's uh, he wrote Allison's record. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'll bet. So when you say the album bins are colorful, are yeah. you are you painting them? or? Yeah. Okay. I'm not a proponent, really, of painting wood. I I prefer stain so you can see the grain and the beauty of it. But the the client, he's so colorful and he loves color. We're not using like solid, solid woods. Like I do mostly everything out of recycled woods, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't do what he needed me to do. It would have been astronomical. Oh. To try and and do a solid wood experience for him, so painting it is not so bad, and actually it looks kind of chic. Uh huh. I'll bet. Looks really cool. It's like purple. The first one's purple, and then there's going to be a green one, and a and an orange one, and a and a blue teal one, and they're all mixed. You can move them around because they're they're on wheels. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he's got a music room, and he has you know shelves for. CDs and all that, but he needed album bins. He wanted something that aesthetically was beautiful in his music room. So that's what we're doing. (laughs) In a way, it's sort of a natural extension of music. I know for me, at least, you know, collecting music, not just digitally, but physically. So then you have to deal with all that stuff, right? All those albums and all those CDs and all yeah. those cassettes, right? So just storage of your music is yeah. is, is kind of a logistical issue that is, a, <laughs> yeah, you have to cope with, right? Yeah. I know. I have this like rack, like beautiful wooden rack that I put all my CDs on. And then I have a bookcase for my records. I don't have a biggest record collection as I used to. I used to have a big one, but it got lost along the way trying to pay bills. Yeah. <laughs> Now I have CDs, piles of them, little piles that I don't know what to do with. Yeah. (laughs) I got a very limited space in our little chateau above the garage. We don't really have a whole lot of uh, space here. Everything is well thought out where we could put things. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this already a bit, but San Diego has a great music scene. And many artists seem to have lots of respect for each other and support each other very strongly. What what are your th- thoughts on that whole process? I mean, what brings people so supportive and all this respect? It's just amazing. I don't know what happens, but I see this in all over. Like I'm I'm blessed to be able to bop into Nashville scene. I bop into Austin scene. I was just on a podcast from an Austin artist. Musicians in general, we are a big family. Mm. It doesn't matter how big you are or how small you are. We all have this thing in common that we really want to lift up people with our songs, with our music, with our gifts, and and that we are intrinsically tied. So we understand each other. Even if we may not, you know, you might bump into somebody, oh, that guy's grumpy. I don't know if he, but at the same time, we're all doing the same thing and we have a respect for that. 
and what it takes to do that. I think that's what it is. It's just that we have that in common. It's like, oh, you're my family, you're a musician. And we get together backstage. And I was just with Emmy Lou Harris's band a while ago and they go, come on in here in my room. And we just sat back there laughing. I've never met most of those guys. I only met Will before. And it was like, oh yeah, I know about that. You toured in that spot, yeah. Oh yeah, I love that record store in Berkeley, you know, and <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in Europe and you're hanging out with musicians. We, we all know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You, I mean, you have so much shared experience with mm-hmm. other musicians, but the other thing I was thinking, you know, I think generating music for a public sort of reflects a desire to communicate right? It's a little bit like writing that way. And so I can imagine that 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 profession attracts people who are kind of interested in other people, right? They're interested in in giving in a way, right? So yeah, you can imagine that there are some personality types Uh that will be more prevalent maybe amongst Uh musicians, maybe a little bit like writers too. And then of course, you know, I think anytime you're in an occupation that is mostly just hard work for very little compensation. Oh, it is hard. You know, you just, yeah, it's just like, yeah, we're all, we're all in this very small boat together. Yeah, we are. It's like you, you work your, you get up early. I get up early and I go to bed very late. Mm -hmm. It's mostly always consumed with work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I go and take breaks and if I'm working on something else, I'm always working in my brain. It's just a lot of work. And the business work side of it takes up. Now that we have to do most of it by ourselves, unless we're lucky enough to have teams and teams of people doing it for us, like some of my friends, it's all consuming. It's it's like now you have to learn. I have to learn on top of it how to how to post stuff, how to make great videos, how to, you know, get your fan base up, how to do all these things that usually there's a team of people at a record label that do that for you. And, you know, hopefully soon I'll be blessed. I have a feeling I'll be blessed to have that. But for now I'm learning. And even if I do get a team later, I am still going to have to help them understand what I need. I have to be able to communicate with them. It's still your vision. It's still your vision of what you want to be yeah. out there. Yes. And if I don't understand how it all works, then it's it'll make it harder for me to communicate that, I think. Maybe. At any rate, it takes up a lot of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's hard. <clears throat> I think that's right. A lot of times we think of some lives as being quite glamorous. Again, I'll go back to writing. When, in fact, it's just hard work. It's just, yeah, yeah it's... <laughs> It's just work. And especially now learning, like you say, all the technology parts of, of even being a writer, which, yeah, you wouldn't think would be it, but it it is. Yeah. I know all, all my writer friends are always like, oh, I can't believe all the things I have to learn. Yeah. Yeah, That's how it is now. Technology is so much part of our lives, even for things, even for artistic endeavors. Well, everything's changed so much, too, with the landscape over the last 10 years. I, I find that a lot of musicians, they're so talented with their music and with their craft and with their ideas, but they're not always 
motivated to do the promotion. They just want to do the the fun stuff, right? The music and perform and show their what they what they've done. But I know promotion is a real tough thing for some people to do. It's just they'd rather be doing other stuff. Therein lies the situation. It's like <laughs> it's like I really don't mind going out and saying, "Hey, come do my show." Do 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 do. I'm really having a blast at it. But also on the other side of it, I realize if I don't, then um, then getting the word out is much smaller. It's not getting out there. And what's the point? It's yeah. like, what's the point of making a record if you're not going to put it out? What's the point of being a singer songwriter if you're not going to broadcast it? But then again, it all comes back to what does that person really want? Maybe that person really doesn't want to be a star. I know many musicians who love having folk jams in their living room and they have day jobs, you know, and houses and lives and, but they love playing, you know, the instrument business is built on those people. There's more of them than us for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, it all comes down to, and I think one of the questions is what would you tell somebody who's coming who's mm -hmm. coming up you know it's know thyself <laughs> ah, interesting like no know what your goals are do you feel yes. as though your goals have shifted though over the course of your career lisa yes they had to in the beginning because i was chased to do a record and i didn't think that was going to be my path mm -hmm. i i was really super super shy it's probably hard to believe that now but <laughs> i was so shy and i only knew how to play five of my songs literally on my guitar i think in the beginning maybe five maybe five but i wound up being asked to do this record and that set me on a path of being a singer songwriter and in front of the audience mm -hmm. I had to grow to love that mm -hmm. and now I love it but if you would have asked me in the beginning if I love it I was like I'm not too sure if I love this or not but I'm here mm -hmm. and I'm gonna do the best job I can mm -hmm. and now it's back to wow I'm doing film and tv I'm making things with woodwork. I'm putting out records. I'm like doing all these different things, touring. And, and now I get to start to play festivals and I'm just so excited. It's exploding everywhere. So now it's like, okay, my goals have changed. Now, how am I going to, now I don't have any. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. just hang on figure out what's more important and do the do the next indicated step you know and now it's like okay what do I choose next and it's fun I'm I'm enjoying it and I couldn't say that years ago I was just too depressed <laughs> yeah I think that's really an area to explore for people who are just starting out I think yeah. that's true for writers too, is yeah. now we're doing so much on our own. You know, it used to be somehow there was the man, right? That somehow the yeah. record label or the publisher, the yeah. yeah, and they just told you what to do. And now I see we're really, I mean, in a way it's great, right? We're in charge of our own time and in a way of our own destiny, maybe, uh, but this dis constant decision-making about what you spend your time on. I yes. just find that really a challenge. Like, 
every oh day. Gosh. Yeah. So yeah, help me out here. What, what do you recommend? <laughs> no, I mean, you're totally right. I just, I looked at my bank account and I realized I had signed up for all these things that I thought needed my attention on the business side of it. And I'm paying for all these things that I don't even use. Ah. And it's like, oh, wow, that was a time suck. You know, yeah. that that went down a rabbit hole. That wasn't the right way to go. So I'm spending all of this time trying to figure out, okay, what's important? Mm-hmm. What is important? And the only thing I could think of with listening, I have these programs that I'm in that I do use that are very helpful to me. They're mostly on a spiritual level on how to re- okay. release blocks how to understand what you should do into I do mostly everything on intuition anyway, but knowing what to do next is like figuring out what's most important and then backtracking on the steps that it'll take to get there. Then I know what thing to do next. If that makes any sense. It's Mm -hmm. like, say I would love a record deal. So what do I need to do to attract the right record company, that would mean I need to build my fan base up, you know, giant. So that means I will have to understand how to work the internet. And so that's a place to start. I think first thing is to set the goal. The second thing is my business coach would say is to draw a map on how to get to your goal. And that's how you find out what you need to focus on. And, And it should be, I just learned this. If I do something and I have to ask the question, is this getting me closer to my goal or is this taking me away on another track? And that's the question I ask myself now to keep myself in line with all these different things. I I have to know if what that step that I'm wasting time or spending time on is getting me closer to my goal. If it's not, I get rid of it. If it's irrelevant, I go, oh, I just went down a rabbit hole over here, you know, which I can do in just like that, two seconds. Yeah, Yeah, I think, you know, when you have a lot of interests, when you have a creative mind, when you have a lot of imagination, it's easy to be to go down those rabbit holes and be distracted by, you know, shiny objects. And sometimes it's hard to tell, is this just a shiny object or is this actually an opportunity that I should grab? Right. And that's, I just think that's really tough Exactly. to go back to this thing about figuring out what your big goal is. So Stephen Covey in his book, uh, seven habits of successful people or something. Oh like yeah. That, one of them is start with the end in mind. Yes. And I do think that that's quite helpful. So just as Lisa said, you figure out what your big goal is and then work backwards from that and make sure that you're on that path to get to that big goal. But yeah, of course, life is more complicated than that. Way. Right? And, oh, yeah. Way. yeah. And so these things do appear. And I, I honestly, I don't think that I have any good advice for that because I because I definitely get distracted by the shiny objects. And I actually have a lot of fun 
right? And so, yeah. I mean, I do think it's important to have fun too yeah. as, you, <laughs> as you go through life. So sometimes, yeah, it's like, I know this isn't on the path, but go away, mom. <laughs> I still want to <laughs> do this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the other side of that is when you go on that path, you don't know, like you said, so it's very difficult. You go on that path and that path says, oh, I bumped into this person like, you know, two years ago, and I went on a tangent. And now two years later, they're calling me because they need me to put a song on a television show. (laughs) You know, know? and that's, and that's toward my goal. So Mm -hmm. the other part of that is just, you have to have a gut feeling about we all have our own inner guidance. People walk up to me and I'll go, Oh, wow, that is profound. I met somebody cool. And I don't know why I met this really cool person in the elevator promoting my friend Gregory Page, not myself. And it turns out they like run this big giant folk festival that I've always wanted to be on. And and I love her dearly. And who would have known? I'm on another tangent trying to help somebody else. And I wound up helping myself. (laughs) Right. some kind of way with a really cool relationship. So that goes back to relationships are the most important thing in business, you know? Yeah. And that leads us on our path to our goal. So it's very, you're right. It is hard. It's really hard. So for some reason, I'm connecting this with Steve Colts, but I could be wrong. I remember somebody asking a professional musician, about or or maybe they just became aware that it was like this popular thing now for musicians to establish a five-year plan. And yes. I, I I I can't remember if it was Steve Foltz or somebody else, but they were like, uh, five-year plan? Are you kidding me? Like I can't even figure out what to do in two hours. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know I have a business plan now, you know? Oh, and- okay. It's only because I discovered that I I don't know anything about the business mindset. You know, I'm totally creative and it's very important to know those things, especially when we have to do them ourselves. So my business coach said, well, yeah, you should have a business plan. So I do kind of have a plan on on the steps to take and I find it helpful Mm -hmm. and I do get more done. Mm -hmm. But but right, I'm with him on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that really cracked me up. Yeah. yeah. Coming, yeah, coming from business. But you know, one thing I would say to people who are just beginning on these types of endeavors, and this really takes us back to a lot of the San Diego musicians, is keep at it. Because yes. you know, it's hard. It's hard to make decisions. Later, you say that was a rabbit hole. Now you're like, oh, actually, that turned out to be really lucky and fortunate. But you know, you won't get anywhere if you give up. Yeah. And I think that happens to a, a lot of people. It's like, I don't appear to be reaching the milestones that I thought I would. And so I'm going to give up. And that's probably the only thing that you could say is just don't give up. And don't. that's where I, you know, I just take my hat off to a lot of the San Diego musicians, you, Steve Poltz, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Berkeley. I mean, you guys just keep at it. And that kind of determination, you know, results, you know, eventually in really a, a legacy, right? A, a really, yeah. a really significant 
oeuvre, if that's not too fancy of a word for it. You oh, know, I love that word. Just the, just the work, right? And it's yeah. in its entirety. So that's one thing I really notice about San Diego is we have this core of, of people that just keep working and yeah, yes. it's, it's really admirable. But I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about the San Diego music scene. Yeah. In fact, I ran across a Reddit thread yesterday that was pretty critical of San Diego as a home for musicians. I just think being a musician right now, anywhere in the United States is really tough. So when you think about trying to be, trying to be a musician in San Diego, if I gave you a magic wand and said, you can change some things about the San Diego music scene. What would you change? Um, I wish now we were more together. Oh. I was asked my baby sisters on, um, she's doing a festival in Oceanside for the LBG uh, Q community. And she asked me, do you know anybody in Oceanside that could come play our festival from Oceanside? And I'm like, no, I don't oh. know anybody. Interesting. Nowadays, people ask me, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, no, I don't. Mm. I do have to say, I always try to have some kind of positive solution or idea. Mm -hmm. But I have this really great friend named Ben Grace and him and his wife, Karen, they've started another open mic. Um, We lost Louie. Open mics. I wish we had, there's the other part of it. I wish we had more places, more venues, like all of our venues closed down for people, for budding musicians to come up. That's what I wondered if a physical location would be helpful. So who, so, I mean, Mm -hmm. we're, we're so lucky to have belly up, right? I mean, the music scene would be completely different here if we didn't have belly up. We've got Casbah. Is Lestat still working? No, that that was Louis. So it's gone. Yeah. Louis passed away. Okay. Mm-hmm. He died suddenly, which was really a blow uh-huh. because all of the musicians coming up would go to the stats to play. That's how we all started. Uh-huh. I saw Steve. We all played open mic nights. I just played Ben and Grace's open mic night to help do the young ones coming up. He decided to do an open mic night. But what happened, whether there's a big open mic night in Los Angeles now. Okay. And so the guy in Los Angeles came down and asked Ben to expand all of these open mic nights eventually across the United States. Oh, interesting. So that all of the uh, young ones coming up, bubbling up, can have a chance to have an an open stage. It's like if you're a comedian, you need to be able to go into a club. And hone your craft. That's how we hone our crafts. Because you get an open mic night and then the venue said, oh, you're great. You get a show and then you get a crowd starting to come and see you and then you get other people and then it goes from there. And then next thing you know, you're touring the world. Mm -hmm. That's how we get started. So we don't have enough of those places to tie us together anymore. When, When we came up, there was a coffee house in every city that we could play. Uh-huh. I played at least four shows a week in my first few years. I could go play at the basement, um, the coffee house, the metaphor, or you could go play 
you know, at Java Joe's and then you go play at the interchange. You could go play at all these different, the wiki up was big with us. And they would have these big folk singer events where there is a line out the door. I mean, if you, you wanted to come and see like me, Jewel, Gregory Page, Steve Poltz, all on the same bill, we all were on the same bill. Carlos Omeda, and then new ones would come, Jason Raz. We don't have that anymore. I see. Starbucks came in. Ah. All these coffee houses went out. Ah. And with it went that experience of hearing live music in that intimate uh, level. There's still just a handful of places around town, but, but nobody really is making a scene of it. I don't know. Everything has its ebb and flow. You know, in the 60s, they had the beatnik era and they had, you know, we were lucky to have Pete Seeger and all these other places. And and they started out in tiny clubs, you know, Mm -hmm. Carol King and them used to play at the Troubadour. The Eagles used to play the Troubadour. Everybody has their time. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was just our time. You know, it was it was just our time to do those things. And now we're looking for that time again here in town. And I think it's happening. I think it's starting to happen. I saw it at Ben's place and the love in that room and those kids that were just hungry to get up and play their new songs. And and my thing was come up with a gang is the best way to come up. You can like writers, you 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 guys will have a writer's room where you can talk and share your pieces so that you can pick them apart and you can grow and you can help each other. Pulse helps me every day of my life. And I, I'm beyond grateful, mm-hmm. you know, for his help and guidance and all that stuff. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't been at that coffee house. Right. All right. That's it. We're going to start a venue here. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we have so much commercial real estate that's available. It seems like we should be able to get yeah, so, somebody to sponsor. A, oh, we need a microphone. <laughs> we do. We just need a sound system and a microphone. And that's what that's what Java Joe did. He quit his UPS job oh. and opened it a little tiny strip mall in Poway next to the target in between the pie shop or now it's a pie shop. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like Nancy opened the interchange down in Pacific beach where jewel really got famous out of. Well, one thing that I've seen that people have been trying to do, and it's not as much as I would like to see, but it always makes me smile is I go to the swap me say Kobe's and you'll see a, a young person there who's maybe like 15, 16, 17 playing the guitar and singing just with, with a little, you know, donation type thing. And they're just promoting themselves in any way they can. And I just find that just so heartwarming that they're out there putting themselves out there trying, but you can almost see, see that being a place where people could actually have a little open mic type thing where people could come in different times or something. If some of the swap meets, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that's where you want to be able to go, but any place you can perform is actually a good place. I love that because a lot of people play the farmer's market. And what if they had an open mic night at the farmer's market? I mean, during yeah. the day, I think that would go over like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. I think people, kids would show up to show off their wares and look at the audience and, oh, that's a brilliant idea, Bill. Even at the Kobe swap meet, because I find that it's better to come up in a gang. Yeah. It's kind of mm-hmm. like Saturday Night Live, you know, yeah. where would, 
And plus, the farmer's market or a swap meet, things like that, if somebody doesn't care for that performer, they don't have to sit there and have to wake through it. They can walk around, do something, come back. And, and, and it's not as offensive as somebody to see people yeah. get up and walk out. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of times people have other things they want to do, and they just stay, and they, they see the person they want to see, and then they, they may want to see more, but maybe the next person is kind of like not their, not their style or something. And Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Well, well, <laughs> well yeah. I think I think we all do that. I mean, they're always somebody oh, that yeah. like it's not as I do they're it. Not, they're not as endearing as you hope they would be. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. That is a wonderful idea. Yeah, because you sit, you go to open mic night, and it's people just starting, so it's a mixed bag. You mm-hmm. you sit through one, and you're going okay, and then you're trying to. <laughs> Yeah. Karen says, when I get those, I make faces, you know. <laughs> You're not supposed to make the faces. <laughs> yeah, I'm not supposed to. She, she'll hit me. And, and, but I love it, though. Mm-hmm. I love encouraging them, even if it's, yeah. you know, even if it needs work. But sure. Mm-hmm. I try not to make faces, but you're right, Bill. You could walk away. You could just literally go over and buy some tomatoes. <laughs> not, not the throw, not the throw. Yeah, but... not the throw. But... <laughs> uh, good thinking. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> but but I, I, I think even seeing somebody that's that's still learning and, and having some trouble mm-hmm. is still so heartwarming to see people giving it a shot. Yes. They may, be, they may be a little misguided or they were talking to going up there and maybe it's not their thing, but they're doing something and most people don't even try. And yes. That's just the, one, of the, one of the best things. I literally cried. I hadn't been to open mic night in quite a while and I went and I saw those kids play and I'm telling you, it filled my heart up. I just felt like I left that place being, you know, 20 feet off the ground going, oh, good. We have new ones are coming. Mm-hmm. And the love that they, they were forming a gang already. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah. That's how you do it, because then you share gigs and you mm-hmm. somebody says, oh, we can play over here. And then next thing you know, you got a scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me hope that that it's coming. You know, maybe it's coming back. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. Yeah. One, one more question. Though, is mm-hmm. New music. What, what's what's coming out next? Anything? Well, yeah, um, I have a record I've been sitting on for three years that I wrote with JT Nero of the Birds in Chicago. And uh, he produced it in Nashville with some amazing players, uh, Jason Isbell's guitar player and Steve Dawson and a multi-Juno Canadian artist and uh, just a whole bunch of amazing musicians, Jamie Dick on drums and the cream of the crop in the folk music world uh, and Americana. Any idea when that might be showing up? No, I'm not too sure because um, we're working on figuring out how to put it out. Allison Russell, like I was saying, she's up for three Grammys this week. I was also guesting on my record. We're all trying to figure out the best route to put it out because it's such a fine record and I can't, I don't want to hide it under a bushel. So mm-hmm. I'm being very careful about um, how to, how to put it out. So it, we're mostly waiting on the universe. <laughs> right. uh-huh. the celestial beings are going to come down and help us put it out <laughs> all right okay, good well lisa our time is up it's been so oh. so lovely to talk to you but before i let you go is there anything you'd like to share with the audience about gigs coming up or your website or really yeah 
Take it away. Yeah. Well, lisasanders.com is where you can catch up with um, all my social media spots. It's easier to just click on them there. And um, also, I have some festivals coming up that I'm so proud of. The Idlewild Folk Festival is coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with Joel Raphael. And and that's going to be cool up in Idlewild. And that is, I believe, um, April 2nd. And then in May... I get to play the Bahutensee Festival in Jackson Street <laughs> with Steve Fultz and the whole gang. So it's going to be like everybody's on the bill and there's new people coming on every day. And uh, most of the folks are coming out of Nashville, um, where Steve's based now. And um, that's going to be a hoot. And then um, I'm going to be on the Sawtooth Folk Festival coming up. And that won't be till July. And that's in Idaho. But locally, you can catch us on. Um, on Facebook, mm-hmm. me and Brown Sugar do almost every Thursday Chateau Above the Garage. Okay. And we play songs and we drink tea and a cup of tea. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and and we just visit and sing songs for people. Cool. Yeah. And I'll provide links to all those things in the show oh. notes for yeah, people who are out there scrabbling around for a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. It really was lovely to see you. And yeah, good luck with everything. Oh, you too. Thank you so much, Bill and Jennifer. It was a pleasure and it was a joy. It went so fast. (laughs) I'll take good care. Have the best day ever. You too, Lisa. Okay. Bye. Thank you. I've been a fauna in dangerous places I've been the one who's all alone I've been the champion for social injustice Carried the banner for unpopular causes And did it all without a caring word I've played the martyr, marked my scarlet letter. I've been the one tied to the tree. I've rushed into the burning building, saved the babies from fire blazes, and never worried if I get touched by. But you Oh, oh, oh.
Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.